We stand on a great and sweeping mountain. A strange fog covers the landscape and movements of large, obscured creatures can just about be made out. The wind shrieks in my ears as if ordering me to leave this place. No oxygen, no protection from the harsh radiation of the sun. If I weren't in the shadow of the tall, eight-armed god Epicurosa, I imagine I would be having a much harder time standing here. Epicurosa puts on the onyx skull of a crow of some kind, decorated in banded white silver. They place a large hand on my back and push me toward the large circular chasm that lays open in front of us. It drops down. I lean over and see no bottom. They gesture toward it. You want me to jump in? I ask. That's the issue. You'll survive. Yeah, but will I be intact? I did not funnel myself into a physical form and bring you all the way out here just to watch you splatter at the bottom of a vast abyss. If I wished to do that, I would have just thrown you from the top of that mesa where I rescued you from that infected woman. Oh, fuck. can't believe I'm doing this. I shuffle toward the edge and turn before jumping off. What's down there? I've never seen Epicurus's face without a mask. I see her grey textured skin, glowing yellow eyes and black teeth. Completely unobscured, I imagine the sight of her bare face would destroy some part of me. Despite the skull mask, I can see her frustration. Think of the universe as a body. Mortals live their entire life on the skin. Maybe they'll cut through the epidermis every so often, but that... She gestures to the open moor of the mountain. ...is a place where the skin has been pierced, and the cut reaches the flesh and bone. Oh. I turn back to the chasm. And why do you want me to... Epicurus sighs angrily and shoves me over the edge, and I get the sense that something watches me fall. The stone sides of a huge hole that start as rough, natural-looking stone soon gives way to an impossibly smooth and flawless texture, too smooth to even seem mortal-made. Something approaches and I hit a layer of water. I sink through for a second, carried by my momentum, for I pass through and continue falling. Strangely though, it seems as if I am falling up. A circle of orange light approaches and I sail up into the air and back down again, landing on my feet on a wide, square, white stone platform. The space is incredibly vast. There is a roof and sides to it, made of the same white stone of the pyramid. The sides go straight up for miles and then begin to slope inwards until they reach the wide, flat ceiling, which is so far away that I can only just make it out through the atmosphere that sits, trapped in this impossible place. Huge pillars are carved into the walls that stretch high above me. Multiple balconies protrude out from the sides, on which stand colossal figures obscured by robe and fire. They look down upon me vigilant guards holding flaming golden spears. The roof leads to an open octagonal hole through which a warm light shines through. Thin trails of sand cascade down and land in a large garden whose borders are entirely defined by where the light falls. Four huge walls stretch the whole height of this place, evenly around the octagon, partially barring my full vision of the garden, and even the whole space as the walls prevent me from seeing the side directly opposite. This place I'm stood in is so incredibly huge that the minimal light just barely illuminates this vast cavern. The floor at the bottom of the pyramid is covered in a variety of landscapes, rocky heaths, tors, promontories, and various other rock formations that jut into the air, forming long bridges, platforms, and canyons. Far off in the distance, I see pools of some molten substance of various sizes dotted sporadically here and there, with long, thin rivulets trailing around the landscape. At the bottom of the long staircase that trails along the side of the pyramid, I see that the rock is actually something akin to glass, unrefined and opaque, but still clearly glass. I look up at the angels in their flaming shrouds, their gaze still fixed on me. From behind a pillar of glass, a creature of some kind swiftly rushes up, rising into the air far, far above me. 
I watch it sail out of sight towards the ceiling and begin to walk, heading for the garden at the centre. I take a step and hear something rushing towards me from above. I look up and see the creature headed straight for me. I draw my sword and ready myself. It moves so quickly that I can just barely discern its form. It descends in a blur of glistening black feather and pale skeletal claw. It deftly avoids my blade and tears a gash in my arm. The thing lands on the sloping wall of the inverse pyramid behind me and skitters around. A thick, oily substance drips from its feathers, which stand in a show of active hostility. It turns its head towards me and I get a look at its face, for that is what it possesses. I can call it nothing but human in nature. A genderless and sickly face, the black sludge oozes from its pale eyes and seeps from its snarling teeth. Its features are sharp and cruel. This is a place of knowledge and discovery. You study the ground on which you walk. What say you, intruder? E Epicurosa sent me here. The beast shivers as I say their name. As it speaks, globules of black liquid splatter and drip from its thin, sickly lips. If you were indeed placed here, and you didn't intrude where you should not, as you are known to do, then you have been placed here to die. The creature pushes away from the pyramid wall and spins as it goes for another attack. I hold my sword up in a defensive stance. It grabs the sword with its bone-like claws and shatters the metal. I go to grab it, but the oil that soaks its feathers causes it to slip from my grasp. All you know is to destroy. Even in your non-violent pursuits, you hurt those around you. You think I don't know? I say, gesturing toward the bird which hovers in the air with my shattered sword. Do you not think the thought crosses my mind every day? And what have you done to atone? Promises to be better. The damage has been done. The collapse of Eden is your burden. The death of the others is on you. Your plan to simply not repeat your crimes is meaningless. A gesture around me, my clothes soaked in black sludge and my arm bleeding freely. What do you think this is? My immortality, letting myself get dragged around by gods and bureaucrats and fucking fascists, being thrown into bottomless pits, pursuing incomprehensible extra-universal entities. Why do you think I do this? You pursue Ovid Nadal in the hopes that you will understand the information that was forced into your mind. Do not posture about duty and morals, and your pursuits are as selfish as they ever were. Understanding what it is you have in your mind will not bring you back. You will not uncorrupt your realm in Eden. Do not presume to know me. Why can I not be both? Why can I not stop Ovid Nadal for the benefit of the universe and its inhabitants and for my own selfish justification? Why must I ignore my own needs? I am all I have in this world. I am the only one who is there to help me. I ready my firearm and raise it to the creature whose face is almost entirely covered in the black oily sheen. And that is why you shall fail. It says as it explodes in a fountain of black oil. I look down now at my shattered sword, the shards they scattered around me, some submerged in the black sludge. What the fuck? The sludge reeks of spent electrics and leaking batteries. I check the clip in my submachine gun, 18 rounds. Thank the stars for high capacity magazines. I fix it to my hip and start to navigate the maze of glass pillars and strange formations. My arm starts to sting. I didn't have enough time to restock on bandages. My last two got used up patching the wound created by the roller. I go through a small, thin trench, constantly adjusting my way to try and head in the direction of the garden at the centre of this strange place. I look at my reflection in the sheen of the dark glass wall, covered in blood and filth. Something has turned its benevolent gaze upon you. I usually don't think too hard into what the gods say. Their words often hold more meaning than I could ever hope to know. That, combined with the fact that 
language and communication are based on experience and the experience of a god is so infinitely different to any non-divine that they have to essentially dumb it down and feed it through the filter of what they know to be the non-divine experience it means that i tend to let the general malaise of meaning and intent wash over me those words stuck out it feels so out of place coming from the mouth of a god usually so impassive and calculating the trench begins to widen and the ground beneath my feet gradually changes from hard opaque glass to a coarse grey sand which stretches ahead of me shifting to a deep rich brown earth the trench widens out further and i realize i have reached the center i turn and look behind me the landscape now is highly different the trench has been replaced with a short sloping escarpment the pyramid on which i arrive now absent However, the resplendent golden glow of those ever-observant angels, now mere spots illuminating the balconies on which they stand, remains consistent. I have no doubt that they watch me now through their shrouds of flame. I begin to march over the rough sand, headed towards the illuminated garden, before I hear a muffled voice. Hey! I stop in my tracks and my hand goes to my gun. Whoa! The voice responds to my initial act of hostility. Do you always pull a gun to calls for help? Sorry, I say to the general area, unsure of who I am addressing. Recently, everything I've come across has tried to kill me or absorb me. Yeah, but every star emits light. You don't see planets orbiting a light bulb, do you? Huh? A sun emits light. A light bulb also emits light. But a light bulb is not a star. In the same way, there are things here that will try to kill you. I am a thing that is here, but I do not want to kill you. You gotta take each interaction case by case, man. I get it. You're human. You like to see patterns. It's in your nature. Who am I speaking to? Oh man, this is gonna take forever. A second voice chimes in. A third voice says in an old human tongue. No, we haven't. We've only been here a few weeks. The clock says 9,567 years, 3 months, and 5 days. I am, because time totally acts like normal down here, doesn't it? Hey, I say. At least let me know what direction to look in when I'm talking to you. Turn left. Bit more. Bit, bit, bit more. Right. Now, forward a bit. Okay, look down. I look down and see what I had subconsciously registered as a rock buried in the sand surrounded by many others. The worn metal holds a remarkably similar color to the glass rocks that peek out of the coarse sand. You might need to do a bit of digging to get to us. Begin to scrape and dig around to reveal a glowing blue eye of some kind. Tell me about it. What's up with the horns? I sigh. It's a long story. Looks kind of like the landscape of this place. It's not lost on me, I say, as I excavate the side of what becomes increasingly clear to be a space probe of human design. An old one, too. After a few minutes, I finally manage to get a good portion of the body of this thing exposed. I lean against the side of the small crater I've dug out, foot resting against the probe itself. Better? I ask. Much. So, what brings you to this angel-infested hellhole? I was going to ask you the same thing, actually. I was brought here by a god. I got pushed down a big hole in a mountain and then I ended up here. She said this was a place where she could find out some things about me. How deliciously vague. My name is Adam, by the way, as in, like, THE Adam. The first human. Just, I just feel like I should let you know. The eye stares at me in what I assume to be disbelieving silence. I mean, is it as crazy as anything else you've seen here? You've obviously accepted the existence of the angels. You make a good point. How much have we missed? Oh man, uh, I'm guessing you were sent from Earth. Yeah. Right, so that's gone. 
Well, I said what I think it was. I don't know what you think it was, but probably. They put up a good fight if that's any consolation, launched a bunch of conservation stations, made some good preparations. Wasn't quite enough in the end, but, you know, at least they tried. So, uh, what's your deal? We are Surveyor 14. How did you get here? On faisait partie d'une mission pour découvrir à quoi ressemble l'intérieur d'un trou noir. On est équipé d'une technologie très puissante qui signifie qu'on pourrait échapper à l'attraction gravitationnelle avec les données toujours intactes et rentrer au bercail. Bon, dans un châssis détruit, c'est vrai. Mais bon. Bon, le fait est qu'on a été envoyé en mission, puis qu'on a été absorbé, et on s'est retrouvé ici. Pour une raison qui m'échappe, on s'est divisé en quatre personnalités différentes. Et voilà où on en est. Ah, I see. We've had a lot of time to think here. Or maybe we haven't. It's kind of hard to tell. Hey, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here, so if you need someone to bounce ideas off of... The AI turns its one glowing eye towards me and focuses. Are we alone in the universe, Adam? You mean other aliens? I probably should have mentioned this. So there's this council... Not, not aliens. We mean, do you stand alone? An island surrounded by multitudes of other islands. Or are we all intrinsically one collective? A continent that lessens with each death and grows with each birth. I don't know. In the hundreds of thousands of years you have had to be alive, you're telling me that you haven't thought of it once? I feel empathy, if that's what you're asking. I feel the need to help others. If that drive comes from a place of real altruism, if such a thing truly exists, or some kind of need to atone for all the wrong I've done, I cannot say. My actions have an effect, as much as I wish they didn't. I'm still part of the collective. I'm still a cog in the great cosmic machine. At the most minute level, I displace the air around me. My feet shake the ground ever so slightly with each step. Butterfly wings and typhoons. At the same time, it's hard for me to feel a part of a population whose experience is so totally different to mine. You think you've got a monopoly in isolation? On guilt? You're not the only one who feels guilt for what they've done. It's an age-old feeling, and yes, there are certain circumstances of your life that are specific to you. But your experience is not as unique as you may think. You yourself admit you are a part of the cosmic machine, as you put it. You are not the mouse to the man. You are the elder that tries to relate to the grandchild. The child speaks as a child. The elder speaks as an elder. And yet there is no sense of lost community within the tribe. So why not you? Even if you cannot find common experience in your past life, can you not find commonality in being in a harsh and uncaring universe? Are you so detached that you relate more to gods than mortals? There are threats beyond even divine comprehension at play, and yet you still manage to separate yourself Wait, from the rest. How do you know about- Deep down, I believe you truly care for others. But until you believe that you are part of the continent, you cannot truly enact a beneficial change in any meaningful way. I lean back against the side of the crater and look up to the ceiling, obscured by distance and darkness. So, you know how to get out of here? I was hoping you'd know, actually. You've been here longer than me. Have you seen anyone or anything else enter and leave this place? Occasionally the angels will blink out and then return, but other than that, it's been pretty quiet here. I'm thinking we should at least head into the light. I don't think I'll be able to carry you. Is there a data core or something I could remove? Data core? Ooh, regardez ce chic celui-là avec ses data cores. We've got a hard drive. Just pop open the chassis and then have a route around. I pry open the door on the outside of the probe and start searching for a hard drive amongst the instruments and circuits. I feel something with a handle on it. Is this it? I ask. Hold the fuck! 
am I supposed to know? If I squeeze your liver, would you be able to tell me if I got the right right or It's not quite the same, but I see your point. I grab a hold of the handle. See you on the other side. I unlock the hard drive and pull it out from the machine. The glowing eye goes dim and I hold up the hard drive to the light coming from the octagonal opening in the ceiling. I scramble out of the hole and dust myself off with one hand. The hard drive is heavy, but I still manage to carry it in one hand toward the edge of the light. The gap between the two huge walls on either side of me is wide and sits perfectly at the barrier between the golden light and the dark. I stand at the edge and peer into the garden, twisting old trees bearing fruit both alien and yet painfully familiar, thin-leaved bushes and pale grass. The sand that tumbles down doesn't seem to drown the garden and instead pushes outwards. At this distance, I'm finally able to see clearly what's on the inside of the walls. All along, an intricate diagram is embossed in gold. Strange shapes and symbols stretch the entire length of each wall. No words, not in any language a non-divine could interpret. Each wall is different. Perhaps they display, perhaps they praise, maybe a bit of both. They display a scale of some kind. From what I can discern, it represents a gradation, all flowing from a single source. Each wall represents a different aspect or group of aspects and how they relate to said source. I pass the barrier between the dim cold of the glass fields and enter the warm garden. The light soaks through my skin. Ragged and bleeding, I stand for a moment in the resplendent light. garden rises ever so slightly. The shrine sits atop this small hill, smooth white stone. It encircles a hexagonal basin. Golden light plays off the surfaces like sunlight off of water. It's perfectly geometric. Angles and simple shapes fused with each other in three-dimensional symmetry, spiraling and tumbling down. Too complex to be aesthetically pleasing, but it's not there for me. I approach the wide basin, at least my height in width. I kneel at its edge and peer into the golden liquid. It's thin and only carries a slight luster, and it's deep. The edges on the outside curve inward down maybe half a meter, but looking into the deep liquid it seems to go outwards and much further down. Some bright light dances around down there. Now what? I say to the silent hard drive that leans against the side of the basin. I stand and brush myself off. Suddenly, as if they had been stood there this entire time behind some curtain which now, upon my being here, is dropped to reveal their presence, I see several angels. One hovers above the shrine, its wings of golden shards extended outward. I take a step back, the hard drive of Surveyor 14 still in hand. It floats to the ground. It has in its hand a long spear of gold. At the tip of the blade, a small fire blazes white hot. It lowers the spear to my chest and slowly pushes it into my heart, not with any malice or intent to damage, but with a conviction akin to a sculptor using a chisel or a carpenter using a plane. The world, or at least my perception of it, begins to wobble and convulse as if seen through weeping eyes. This effect recedes and I see the world through the eyes of something else. Through a veil of golden fire and white robe I watch a battle between two forces. One I recognize, the form of a Vignadal, causes such an entropic effect on the universe, and one I do not. The common form of a god, for sure, but not one that has deigned to make its presence known to me. Beyond this physical interpretation, I get the sense that something much grander takes place between two vast, formless things, and that this display is simply the tip of the iceberg poking out from the great depths of the cosmic ocean. 
my perception of these events begins to wobble again as a Vigna doll grabs the angel whose vision I borrow and brings it close to his face. He peers into his eyes, his multitudes of teeth thick with molten glass that fills the angels, and his pale eyeless head bleeding that polychrome matter, damaged and cut all over. We can only assume this is a form he manifested or grew from some pre-existing entity he possessed. He holds the angel close to him and says, You watch one step toward a better universe, Adam. A step forward in the progression of this universe to a stage in which it never will have been as it is now. And as his opponent readies another attack, Vignadar crushes the angel and the vision finally begins to falter too much for me to see anything clearly. I rise and pull back from the golden spear that intersects with my heart. I look up to see it is now being wielded by Epicurosa, wearing a wolf skull on her hooded head. I still don't understand. Why me? N not why me. Why not you? You're the most powerful thing I have ever seen. You formed humanity and the Vigatorians from nothing. You shift cosmic forces with no effort or exertion. Why are you or any of your peers unable to do this? I want to. I really do. It used to be I wanted to understand what it was I learned, to make what I did worth it. But I have realized that it is not about making it worth it, but it is instead atoning. The intent has changed, but my action remains the same. But I must know why. She exchanges her wolf skull for that of some kind of large fish. Not an animal I have ever seen. I could force your understanding. I could initiate a vision. It would torment you as it does might upon serenity, unable to convey or sufficiently recreate in your memory. Instead, I will try to explain in language. Gods are not physical beings. I believe a Victorian philosopher once referred to us as concepts with will, and while concept carries certain connotations, she had the right idea. Ovid Nadal is unlike anything this universe has ever seen. I do not know his origins. I simply know he is other, and that we cannot affect him. You saw through that angel's eyes. There was nothing that Iratho could do to destroy him. Our common forms can cause harm to each other, matter touches matter, but celestially we cannot influence him. But he can us. I believe that you will be able to affect him in a significant way. And the fact that there is something beyond even divinity that surrounds you and guides us to help you proves that I am right. Thank you. I am going to send you to that place within the vision. Follow him. And whatever he intends to do, stop him. I know his intentions. Might upon serenity, in a moment of clarity as we shared a vision corrupted by a Vignadal, she told me he seeks Eden. Epicurosa's whole demeanor shifts. If I were to assign emotions to a divine being of pure thought, I would have called it fear. If that is indeed the case, then our situation is far more dire than previously anticipated. Let us hope you will be able to stop him before this happens. Portal manifests behind me. Could I ask something of you? You may ask. I hold up the hard drive. Would you construct a body for them? Make them whole, please. They've helped me on my journey. I think they deserve it. That I can do. She takes it from me and I walk through the portal, leaving behind the divine setting of glass landscapes and perfect stone. I step through into my new setting, the collapsed city aflame.
Epicurosa was played by Laura Rogers. The Harpy was played by Maxwell James Ginn. Surveyor was played by Lance Chapman, Neris Howell, Marianne Stanek, and Jesus Arcarbo. Ovig Nadal was played by Glyn Pritchard, and the score was by Bethany Porter Lewis. Sound design, writing, and Adam Delta 5 played by Kai Gwillen Pritchard. An extra special thanks to our patrons, Teresa Scheiben, Anthony Hyde, and Zachary Forte Gom. Email us at chainofbeingofficial at gmail.com and follow the podcast on Twitter at Chain of Being. Subscribe to the Patreon for exclusive content and rewards. And check the episode notes for sound effects used in this episode. Thanks for listening. Hailing all close by vessels. I've been separated from my group and am in need of repairs. And if you can spare it, some medical assistance would go amiss. Please, if you're hearing this, I don't know where I am. Repeat, I'm in a battered D4RT, requesting assistance under the Satira Codex. Can't speed. Voidless is a new sci-fi podcast by Calliopic Productions. Episodes released every other Tuesday. Find us on Podchaser and your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening.